0: friends, welcome to Having a Blast, the podcast where I talk to my friends and sometimes myself about my favorite records. And I also am going to be interviewing some guests soon. Really excited to talk to some of my favorite people in the music industry I just happen to know and have a relationship with. Really stoked to talk to some cool people and get into the nitty gritty the behind the scenes stuff, the stuff that I always find fascinating and hopefully you guys find fascinating as well. Today I am very excited because I'm going to talk about one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite records of all time. And I was actually very fortunate to get to know this band during my tenure in the band Game Time. We got to play many shows with this particular band. Today I'm going to be talking about Ocean Avenue, the record Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. We're going to do a deep dive of that album. I'm going to try to dig up as many facts on this album as I possibly can and I remember vividly the time leading up to the record coming out and we actually befriended yellow card very very early on in their career I was very fortunate to meet them at the end of 2001 I believe it may have been January of 2002 I honestly don't really remember but it was around that time they had already released one for the kids I heard them on mp3.com I heard heard Sure Shot and I was immediately hooked by the intro with the violin. I just thought it was so cool how they incorporated a violin player and at that time they were just kind of blowing up in the underground and making waves and there was a lot of hype surrounding them because they were doing so well on mp3.com. mp3.com was basically the first site to ever stream music and they streamed a lot of unsigned and smaller bands. I remember Rufio was number one on the mp3.com charts for maybe an entire year and Card was right behind them with sure shot that was number two for many months if not a year or more and that's where i first heard them i was booking shows for a small independent label called lobster records from california and i was booking a show for a band called park and park was a great band you can definitely check out their catalog all their stuff is up on spotify and they emailed me maybe two weeks before their show i booked them a show at or actually booked them two shows one at the bottom in Lawrence, Kansas, and one at El Torreon in Kansas City. I got an email from one of their members. I'm pretty sure it was the singer, and he said, hey, we're bringing a band with us, a new band that just signed to Lobster. Would you mind if they, or can you ask if they can play the show as well? And I said, sure. And that band just happened to be Yellow Cart. It was one of their very first tours. They had just moved to California. They had just signed with Lobster and just released their first album that was kind of blowing up at the time. But that's when I met them. We played both shows, both at the Bottleneck and at El with them in park and it was amazing and I remember the show at the bottleneck it was kind of a last minute deal and it wasn't promoted very well I wasn't promoting that one I was promoting the one at El but I booked the one at the bottleneck and whoever the promoter was at the time just didn't promote it at all and nobody came and I remember Yellow Card came out and there was maybe 10 people in the audience including the bands and they just blew us away. They were just incredible. Just an amazing live show front to back. I remember they came out to playing the dark theme song of Star Wars the the dark side theme song the theme that you'd hear anytime Darth Vader would come on screen and I just thought that was so cool. I remember right after they did the Star Wars theme song They went right into the opening guitar riff of Starstruck and they just all started jumping in unison and I was like, I gotta go buy some merch, I gotta buy that record. And I bought one for the kids and I think I listened to that thing pretty much every day for probably a 90 day stretch. I remember I was burning that CD for all of my friends and we just listened to that thing for probably a good two years. Sean still did a backflip even though there wasn't that many people in the crowd and they just completely annihilated the place. It was incredible. Okay, so I'll mention some other stories. Got a lot of Stories About Yellow Card, touring with them. We played a lot of shows with them. They were very, very good friends of ours. Spent a lot of good times with them on Warp Tour in 2002 and 2003. But right now, I'm gonna do a deep dive of their legendary album, Ocean Avenue. So, yeah, once again, if you'll indulge me, let's get into it. Let's do a deep dive of this amazing album. So, Yellow Card is an American rock band, pop punk band, whatever you wanna call them, that formed in Jacksonville, Florida in the year 1997. So they've been around for a little while. Although when they first formed, they had a different singer. They had a couple different members. Eventually, they moved to Los Angeles and they've written a lot of songs about going to California. This was after Ryan Key, the singer that we all know and love, joined the band. They moved to California after he joined the band. The band released 10 studio albums with its most recent and final one, self-titled, released on September 30th, 2016. They went on a world tour after that and then disbanded so they are no longer a band unfortunately i think they're just on hiatus i'm hoping that at some point they'll do a reunion of some type but that's okay so shortly after releasing the underdog ep yellow card signed with Capitol records which was a major label capital records just happened to be the record label that the beatles were on so i'm sure that was exciting in april of 2002 is when they were signed the band was signed by louis van deck who also signed Less than Jake, which is pretty cool. And he was the A and R person for Capital. And I'm sure at that point Capital was looking for some pop punk bands to sign because Pop Punk was still kind of reigning supreme in popularity and on top forty radio. So Yolokar gets signed in April of 2002. And then in the fall, they went up to the Big Bear area in California. And this is where they wrote a bunch of the initial song ideas and songs for Ocean Avenue. And they were 22 years old, just in a cabin that one of the members' family owned. And this is where they did a lot of the writing for the record. After writing the initial core of the songs at the cabin in Big Bear, they were scheduled to go down to Los Angeles at the swing house to do all of the their pre-production for the record and pre-production just means when the band goes in and sometimes they'll work with the producer sometimes they won't work with the producer sometimes their manager will be present and they just basically finalize what the song is going to look like what the song structure is going to be the basic skeleton of each song for the record that way they know what they're going in to record that's all as far as pre-production what that means when it came time to picking a producer the band initially thought maybe a good fit would be eric valentine ryan key mentions this in a podcast Cast. this is ryan's dream producer i thought this is a really funny story so apparently they invited eric valentine to a show and he came to the front door and they wouldn't let him in so he just decided to leave <laughs> he was there to check out the band maybe to potentially work with them and he wasn't on the guest list so he said nuts to this i'm out of here and he left <laughs> But Eric Valentine, he did Taking Back Sunday, Louder Now. He did a couple of Good Charlotte records. He's done a lot of big major label records. But ultimately, after they knew they weren't working with Eric Valentine, they were given the opportunity to meet with Neil Avron. And ultimately, they decided to pick Neil Avron as the producer of the record. And I think that was a brilliant move by the band. At that point, he had done some really massive Everclear records. He did the self titled and Sticks and Stones records for Newfound Glory. So he was already making a huge name for himself. So Ryan mentions in another podcast that when they started doing pre production with Neil and they started really getting to know him, this is where they really learned how to properly write good songs. And he always talks about the trad- traditional song structure and how that's how it's been for 100 years and that's how it'll probably remain for a really long time what he's talking about what he's referring to is how a song goes from intro verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus and this is really where they learned to do that on a pretty big scale because this is going to be their major label debut and neil had an integral part of that probably helped them really streamline the songs write the songs because if you go back and you listen to one for the kids and even the underdog ep there's songs that maybe don't have the most traditional song structure. You listen to a song like October Nights, which I absolutely adore The song, will always love the song. It takes me back to a time and place, but it's kind of a weird song. The structure's a little odd. The choruses don't come back in and punch you at the times that you would expect them to. There's a couple of extra parts that are in the middle of the song. So I think they kind of abandoned that type of songwriting when they were doing the pre-production for Ocean Avenue because they probably wanted to just write some hits and Neil really helped them craft some traditional song structures with what they had and Ryan also mentioned that they demoed a lot of these songs to ADAT which shows you kind of the difference in times because now you can demo everything in the box on a computer. The band began recording its major label debut meaning Ocean Avenue in February of 2003. Ocean Avenue was recorded in five weeks at Sunset Studios in Los Angeles, California and again Neil Avron at the helm as producer, with Tom lord Algae mixing and Ted Jensen mastering. And Ted Jensen actually ma- mastered the last The American Life release, which is pretty cool. That was the last band that I was in. Shameless plug. Check us out on Spotify if you want to. We haven't been a band for a decade. <laughs> So Ben, the guitar player, he mentions in the making of Ocean Avenue DVD that the recording process was a really special recording process. The band was able to spend a lot of time together crafting the songs initially. They had a lot of time to do pre-production with Neil Avron and really make sure the songs were exactly what they wanted. He said that they had meetings at the studio and that the writing was really focused. It was also a very collaborative experience between the bandmates and Ryan. Ryan would write predominantly most of the riffs and then they would craft a song to Together with it. Ben said that it felt like the ultimate yellow card record when they were done and it represented all of their musical abilities. Fun fact about Ocean Avenue, there's an ocean boulevard in Atlantic Beach and this is what the song and album is based on. So Ryan mentions that Ocean Avenue is easier to rhyme with. <laughs> and the production of the record was finished in the spring of 2003. During the recording of the album, Pete Mosley, the bass player, he actually left the band right after doing a lot of the writing for the record and he joined after Warren Cook left the band as well and he was the first bass player that I met who was in Yellow Card and he left the band in the middle of Warp Tour in 2002 and he is actually the subject of the song Empty Apartment. Ryan mentions that Empty Apartment is about a very close friend that he had a falling out with. He mentions that the friend is no longer in Yellow Card, insinuating that it's about a past member and of course it's about Warren. The song about how much Ryan missed his friend, love and loss and disagreements. He said that he hopes it's a song that people can relate to with potential friendships and relationships that they may have had. So, after Warren left the band, Pete Mosley joined, and he was a mutual musician friend of the band from Florida. Pete joined Yellow Card, helped them write Ocean Avenue. He was in a great band called Inspection 12, also from Florida. I listened to them a lot, really loved that band. Dan, the singer, is a great guy, and he wrote really, really great songs at the time. And he's still recording music. He's got a great EP under the title Gentleman, and that's on Spotify. There's four songs, and they're all great. Pete actually did record the Bass on Ocean Avenue. And I remember one of the members, I can't remember if it was Sean or Ben, he told me that when Neil Avron got done recording Pete on bass, that he told him he was the best bass player that he had ever seen since Paul McCartney. Pretty incredible thing to say to somebody else. When Mosley, when Pete left the band, he went back to his first band, the band I just mentioned, Inspection 12, and they recorded and finished the band's album, Get Rad by Inspection 12, which is a great record. And Sean actually played some strings on that record, and Ryan actually sings on the record, which is interesting because I think Pete left shortly after that. I don't think he left Yellow Card before he went back to Florida to record that album, but he did leave. The members of Yellow Card then began to search for a new bass player, and they chose Alex Lewis, whose sister contributed vocals on the Ocean Avenue track... View from Heaven. After Alex joined the band, filmed an unreleased music video for the song Powder because they were still promoting the Underdog EP and Ocean Avenue hadn't come out yet. This was later put on an enhanced version of Ocean Avenue. So, like a re release of the album. So, fun fact about the Underdog EP, which I also think is great and I was kind of obsessed with it when I first heard it back in 2002. That was released on Field by Rama and they had some sort of a licensing deal with Yellow Card. So, they agreed to release the Underdog EP. And at the time, Fuel by Ramen wasn't the behemoth that it is now. It's, it wasn't as gargantuan. And I think Vinny from Less j Jake, he still owned half of it. So it was still a fairly underground record label. And this is on purpose and by design. They were trying to make it seem as though Yellow Card was having credibility with a smaller label. So they licensed them to Fuel by Ramen. But I remember Sean, the violinist, telling me that Capitol wanted them to not release Powder on the EP. Powder is a song on the Underdog EP because they thought it would make for a good single on Ocean Avenue. And I listen to that song now and I actually I'm not quite sure if I could hear Powder even existing on an album like Ocean Avenue. It's a little bit more dark. It's a little brooding. It's kind of a slower tempo and pretty heavy subject matter. It's about a friend who got addicted to cocaine, I believe. So yeah, Fun little fact that Capitol wanted them to save that song for Ocean Avenue, but ultimately they didn't, and ultimately it did not go on the record. They didn't re record it or anything. So, Ocean Avenue is technically the fourth studio album by Yellow Card. The album was the band's major label debut and brought them to fame and prominence. It was a commercial success in the United States, led by the hit single Ocean Avenue. The album received generally positive reviews from music critics and has been certified platinum in sales by the RIAA and gold by the CRIA. It was produced by Neil Avron, the man himself and it was released on July 22nd 2003 through Capitol Records. I still remember vividly driving to Best Buy on tour on that particular day, July 22nd and we were actually buying Ocean Avenue but we were also buying Thrice's The Artist in the Ambulance. I think a lot of people forget that those two records came out on the exact same day and they're both revered as classics today within the same genre pretty cool that they were released on the same day that was a good record day and i remember i think we were in atlanta and we were staying with somebody and somebody agreed to drive us to best buy so we could buy those two records yellow card released their first single for motion avenue as way away the first song and that was actually the first song that i ever heard them play i remember hearing them play it live on new year's 2002 going into 2003 we just happened to see them in san diego and they played this song live and it was incredible hadn't recorded it or demoed it or anything yet but we did get to see it live. Way Wei, Wei did well on MTV2 and Rock Radio, peaking at number 25 on the modern rock charts. So the song created enough of a buzz to cause the band's mainstream explosion to start occurring, but it didn't really happen right out of the gate. I know they made a really expensive video, but it didn't do as well as Ocean Avenue did, obviously. In late 2003, Yellow Card finally broke through with Ocean Avenue. The song premiered on MTV's TRL and quickly shot up to the charts of number one of TRL. I almost forgot about TRL but yeah that was a thing and that probably did a lot for their career I would imagine. Just a lot of notoriety that was a great way to get known. Radio eventually picked up on the single and the song made it to number 37 on the Billboard Hot 100. The song Empty Apartment was also featured on an episode of the TV show One Tree Hill, the second Dawson's Creek. So suddenly Yellow Card was everywhere from the covers of Alternative Press to headliners of the 2004 Warp Tour to on stage at the 2004 MTV Video Music Awards. Between mid-July and early August 2003, the group appeared on the Warp Tour, and this was in support of the album. So, they did a few dates on the Warp Tour. They didn't do the entire Warp Tour. They did a few dates on the Warp Tour in 2002 as well. This is where we saw them and got to hang out with them quite a bit and became really good friends with them. Way Away was actually supposed to be the first single, and it was the first single technically released, and it was released to radio on July 22nd. So, literally the day the record came out, they were a little late to that. I think. I don't know if they if they knew what they had. Capital knew what they had. It was released as an enhanced CD in some countries, meaning Ocean Avenue. The enhanced CD includes a video entitled The Making of Ocean Avenue. This is available for free on YouTube now. And it also came with a previously unreleased video of the song Powder, that song that I mentioned earlier from the Underdog EP. So again, it was probably something that their a and person was like, we got to get Powder out there. Maybe that will be an underground hit or something. And maybe we should re-record it and just release it as a standalone single. I don't think that ever happened. Following the end of the band's stint on the Warp Tour in August, the band went on a club tour in the U.S., followed by a few radio show appearances, which is par for the course, I think. When you sign to a major label, you're going to do a lot of those radio show festival type performances and things. Ocean Avenue was released to radio, the second single, on December 16th, so almost six months later. So it's interesting how Ocean Avenue is the song they most people recognize when they think of Yellow Card and it was easily their biggest, most successful single. I think most people still talk about that song in remembrance of Yellow Card and knowing Yellow Card. It's the song that I think made them a household name and Way Away was actually supposed to be the first single. I think they spent quite a bit of money on that music video too because they made a music video for Way Away and I don't really think it made waves. It's a great song and maybe it worked out well that they released that first and then gave the, the album album some legs with releasing ocean avenue later but man ocean avenue just took off what's even crazier to think about is the fact that ocean avenue the song almost didn't make it on the album ryan has talked on a couple podcasts about how he really struggled to finish the chorus for the song he had the verses down and the initial rhythm idea but he really struggled with finalizing a chorus and he and neil avron went back and forth on ideas and things and neil would say no, 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 that's not the one. And and he would go back and write a new one and then he'd come back. And he even said that there was a point where he felt like he had written a melody that was already a melody, like Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper. I think that's the example he gave because he thought he had basically ripped off an 80s melody. So one night, he just came up with that really simple chorus showed the idea to Neil and Neil was like you need to get in there and record that immediately and that was the song that was the chorus that they ended up going with and that ended up being what we all know and love to be Ocean Avenue the song in March and April 2004 the band went on a co-headlining US tour with something corporate with support from Stereogram in the format and for those that don't know the format that's an interesting band the singer Nate went on to form the supergroup fun which started as a side project while he was still in the format and they were opening that tour the co-headlining u.s tour with something corporate and yellow card i remember that show well after appearing at the main stage on warp tour in 2004 the band performed at the mtv video music awards the band performed ocean avenue at the 2004 mtv video music awards pretty big deal for the band they were really taking off i remember they played pepsi smash they played way way right after the record came out and that was kind of a big deal for them too i remember watching it on tv T V with my parents. What was interesting is Yellow Card actually stayed at my house quite a bit when they were in their early touring days in two thousand two and two thousand three before the record came out. And my parents really liked them. They were always really they were always really kind to our band and really nice to our family members and everything and everybody just kind of loved them and we were really proud of their success. It was cool to see in real time. I want to talk a little bit about the reception of the record. So Ocean Avenue sold 11,000 copies in its first week in the US debuting at number 99 and later peaked at number 23. So it definitely did its traditional climbing of the charts. It is Yellow Card's most successful album and was certified platinum by the RIAA on July 14, 2004 and has sold almost two million copies in the u.s so 1.8 million copies which is crazy and i know they've sold over 3 million worldwide i've heard a couple of the members mention that there's an acoustic version that was released on its 10th anniversary and that debuted at number 53 on the billboard 200 so not bad with 7,000 copies sold 4,000 of which were downloads and i really enjoy the acoustic album they didn't do that one themselves they did the other acoustic album when you're through thinking say yes they recorded that on their own pretty sure hope Hopeless gave them a decent budget to go and record the Acoustic Ocean Avenue album with somebody else. And it's great. There's a lot of guest singers on it. They reinterpret some of the songs, which is really cool. That's a cool, just easy listen, especially if you're a fan of Ocean Avenue, to go back and listen to that Hopeless release where they do all the songs acoustically. And that acoustic album was released on August 13th, 2013, almost exactly 10 years to the date of Ocean Avenue and released in honor of its 10th anniversary. The music video for Ocean Avenue was actually nominated for Best New Artist in a Video and MTV2 Award and the MTV Video Music Award. So they were nominated for Best New Artist and they won. The album was included at number 50 on Rock Sounds, the 51 Most Essential Pop Punk Albums of All Time list. BuzzFeed included the album at number 27 on their 36 Pop Punk Albums You Need to Hear Before You Die list. Okay, that's a nice title. (laughs) The song Ocean Avenue is also featured on the Billboard's list. 100 Greatest Choruses from the 21st Century, and man, it is A wonderful chorus just lifts just takes off every time i hear that song just waves of nostalgia i just have all sorts of memories of summertime being on warp tour listening to that album listening to that song in particular driving down the 101 just blasting it in our van it was good times so the band was just blowing up and following ocean avenue's success the band released the single only one so the ballady song in the middle of the album they released it as a single and i think that was a really smart idea because they had already released two pretty energetic upbeat songs so it makes sense for them to release a ballad that was kind of the formula at the time and it really was a rock ballad it did fairly well on trl and radio as well and by that point by the time they had only one out as a single ocean avenue had already sold over a million copies in the u.s alone just that country alone so pretty incredible as time went on and ocean avenues popularity began to wean a little bit yellow card spent some time contributing songs to various other soundtracks the first which is an amazing song called gifts and curses that they wrote for spider-man 2 and i'm sure the music director for the movie just asked them if they wanted to contribute a song that was inspired by because if you listen to the song it's very much talking about peter parker and mary jane and spider-man in general so They definitely took inspiration from the comics themselves and it's a great song. It was probably a big deal for their career to be put on that soundtrack. And that song wasn't the most popular song on the soundtrack. Vindicated by Dashboard, easily the most popular song. And it was released as a big single and I think that was a massive song for Dashboard as well. But it was probably cool to be included on that with all those other bands. I'm pretty sure Taking Back Sunday, The Ataris, Midtown. There's a lot of great bands on that soundtrack. They did another contribution to Compilation where they did... A cover of Lagwagon's Violins, and that was featured on the Rock Against Bush Volume 2 compilation, album put out by Fat Mike and Fat Records. And then, towards the tail end of their album cycle, they played the 2005 MTV Movie Awards, where they performed a cover of the song Don't You Forget About Me. This was during a special tribute to the movie The Breakfast Club, so pretty cool. That's available on YouTube, too, if you want to see it. The album Ocean Avenue is 47 minutes, but it definitely doesn't feel like it's 47 minutes. I know I say that a lot, but it's a really easy listen. And this is a great album because it starts out with a bang, but it's kind of like Bleed American in the sense that it kind of takes you on a journey. Some of the songs come down a little bit, so there's some gravitas and some lightness to some of the songs, especially for a song at the beginning of like Empty Apartment. Relatively sad song. It starts out on that A minor chord which is pretty sorrowful and just heavy, but it ends up getting a little bit lighter. Definitely has that major chorus. I love the dynamics of this album for the same reason I love the dynamics of Bleed American because it does go up and down. Way away starts out with a bang and it's a dark sounding song but it's just so powerful at the same time. I love the verses. I love that high bass line. The bridges on some of these songs are, are just some of the, the most captivating yellow card moments. I really love all of the bridges on this album. They're kind of like the, the masters of bridges and they really add a lot to the song. They're not useless. They're not just dying to get get back to the chorus, especially a bridge like Ocean Avenue. It's almost like another chorus within it. And I remember that was always a great opportunity for them to get crowd participation at the shows. They'd have the people sing the hi whoa oh part over the top of the other vocal line. Way away, especially with the bridge, just incredibly powerful how it comes in to that last chorus. And kudos to Neil Avron for creating such a powerful, big, modern-sounding rock record for 2003. Pretty incredible. I'm sure he had a million dollar soundboard that he was working with. He may still be working with that same soundboard today. I'm not sure, but man, it just, this record still sounds so good. The drums still sound amazing. And I think that you can give a lot of credit to Longinu LP because he's such an amazing accomplished drummer. The drums just still sound so crisp and live, almost like you're standing right next to him. The snare pops right out of the mix and it's just really, really put together, well-produced drums sounds. Breathing's a great track. Another track that's kind of in your face. I remember when I first heard this, I thought it was a little bit almost too radio rock at the time, but man, I've really come to love this song. The intro, especially when it slows down to that halftime part, just so cool. And the, the verses are just very catchy. I like the staccato palm muted guitar part and just a big anthemic chorus there's anthems all over this record i remember having a conversation with ryan key specifically and he told me that at this particular time this was in between the underdog ep into the writing for ocean avenue he said i want every chorus to be an anthem that's what i'm trying to write now just anthems on every chorus. I mean, every song is is its own anthem. And then obviously Ocean Avenue, Yellow Card's most well-known song. Incredibly great pop rock song. I love the fact that it's built on these same three chords that you have in the verse that are palm muted and the chorus. The rhythm portion of the verse, just so cool. And I like how the drums sort of echo that. Ryan mentioned on the Krista Makes podcast where they dissect Ocean Avenue. He talks about how at first he was a little hesitant about doing a song. With the same three chords for the majority of the song, the chords that you hear in the verse as well as the chorus, but he wanted something that was akin to like a U2 with or without you, where you have the same skeleton of the song and it just lifts during the chorus. And really, the only time it really separates itself is during the bridge. It goes to that major chord and it changes up a little bit, but for the majority of this song this simple pop song amazing pop song it's just the same three chords and the rhythms change a little bit and then it comes back at the end of the chorus but it's it's interesting how sometimes we fight the simplicity of songs during the songwriting process we think it's too simple and i think that's something that he was battling during the writing of this song i know they kind of fought hard to get the right chorus but just the fact that it was the same three chords throughout the verse and the chorus he was a little hesitant about that i think that's really fascinating i love all those Little guitar flourishes, too, that Ben brought to the table. I feel like in later years, this was something that Yellow Card was lacking. Not to say that Ryan Mendez is a bad guitar player, he's an incredible guitar player, but I feel like Ben just really gave this album some personality with some of his guitar flourishes. Just the lead line in the verses of The Ocean Avenue, that's just such a hook. I just love that element to this record. And I think Ben Harper, I think he was definitely the person behind a lot of those little guitar lead lines and those extra little flourishes that they add to the album. Empty Apartment, a song about Warren, their old bass player. I think there was some turmoil on the warp tour I'm not exactly sure if there was some drunken fights or if there was some drama that went down in the middle of warp tour I mean I know there was some drama that went down in the middle of warp tour I'm just not exactly sure what happened there Game Time was on the same warp tour this year this was 2002 in the middle of warp tour and I remember distinctly talking to members of Yellow Card and kind of getting their side of the story about what had happened but I don't remember the specifics and I think they were being vague on purpose because I don't know if they were even sure exactly what had happened if Warren had left or if somebody had said you need to leave something like that. I'm not exactly sure, but I remember there was some tension afterwards. We were in the mix. We were definitely hanging out with them and talking to them every day, but I don't really remember exactly what happened. I do believe alcohol was involved though. So he left the band and I think he still plays in bands in Florida as well. We're still connected on social media and all that. Life of a Salesman, amazing song. Tribute to Ryan's father. I always like the song because it's a good dad-son bonding song and really catchy lyrics. The first really fast, double time song on the album which at that point yellow card had a couple of those songs but it was just so cool to hear it with all of this major label production kind of the same way i felt when i first heard better off dead by newfound glory just hearing the double time beat with the major label production was kind of this magical thing because up to that point i'd only heard it on all these fat records releases and all these epitaph records releases and it was thrilling to hear it with major label money behind it I mean, Ocean Avenue, they spent $750,000 making this record. So three quarters of a million dollars. So you can imagine my teenage ears when it heard that double time beat. Up to that point, I had mainly heard Ryan Green's production, which is great in and of itself, but it's a lot clickier. And the drums on... The newfound glory records, as well as Ocean Avenue, it's just so much more crisp and punchy and huge and larger than life, and I just loved it immediately. Only one the ballad, which I think this song came together pretty quickly. This was the last song that they recorded or wrote for the record, and I remember hearing Ryan at one point saying that Neil asked him or suggested to him that they write another song, that the album felt incomplete and he felt like it needed a more ballady song and a big anthemic ballad for the record. And so Ryan wrote this song relatively quickly And it's an incredible song too I feel bad for him singing it for so many years Because it's such a high chorus That was probably difficult Big props to Ben Harper again For the guitar flourish in the beginning With the tremolo, the clean part, the picky part Really pretty, supports the song very well Starts the song really well Just very classic in its execution But the tremolo definitely adds A new layer of modern production on it Miles Apart, this is the song That they played on the real world Road Rules Challenge in the background on one of the episodes, so that was a little strange, but I'm sure they were just saying yes to a lot of wacky opportunities back then in 2003. And it's a great song, very catchy. I love the chorus, just like most of the choruses on this record, very anthemic. Ryan recently said on his Star Wars podcast, Thank the Maker, that he thinks miles apart is filler it's like a filler song on the album but I kind of have to disagree with him I think it's an amazing standalone track on its own too it's a simple pop punk song but it's still great it still supports the album I definitely don't think it's a throwaway track I think it adds to the the fullness of the record I mean there's 13 songs so it's great to have it I don't think it's a b-side 23 another incredibly great fast song Sean sings the verses this is a great song that has a bit of edge to to it because they're talking directly to one of ryan's ex-girlfriends and clearly there's a little bit of animosity there in the lyrics but great song nonetheless i love the the pre-choruses where they do the three-part harmonies and stuff just so cool this is going to sound braggy and pretentious, so I apologize in advance. But the only reason I'm telling you is because it's an actual true story. It actually happened, and it's one of the cooler music memories that I have just from touring and being in a band. So I'm proud of it. That's why I'm sharing it. Sean actually pulled me aside when we were listening to this record for the first time with them in their tour bus, and he said, "Hey, this is our little nod to Game Time," <laughs> which I was blown away by that because I was such a massive fan. The three part harmonies. He was like, "This is a little nod to Game Time." View from Heaven is probably the biggest left turn of this entire album. It's a little bit country. I love it. I know some people don't love it, but I think it fits perfectly within the context of the album. I love the back of vocals by Alex's sister, the female vocalist on this song. Just so pretty. The violin really stands out in the song. I think Sean, his ability to writes string parts for all of Yellow Card songs. He does a really, really great job on this one, and it just sits so well within the mix and really does a good job of highlighting the Nashville and country twang to the song. Inside Out, I remember the intro sounding very similar to another song by a band called Stole Your Woman that was actually on Takeover Records that the guitarist Ben owned and they were good friends of ours and good friends of Yellow Card as well. LP actually lived with a couple of the members for a while, and I think they may have borrowed that particular rhythm at the very beginning of the song from still your woman or was definitely inspired by i do remember having a conversation with travis their singer in which he said yeah they mentioned that they borrowed this rhythm from our song and that's usually the case with bands i mean we get inspiration musicians get inspiration from their favorite bands their favorite records and sometimes it's just baked into our subconscious we don't even recognize that we're borrowing certain things from other people that's the nature of music music travels from one entity to the next and there's a bit of an evolution with music so i think the best artists know how to hide their sources and they give credit where credit's due and in this case yellow card did and it's just a great song so i love that intro i love that rhythm and i love the stole your woman song as well one year six months great song i remember sean telling me that they were going for a simon and garfunkel vibe with this song That's why they both sing, but they keep it kind of the same mix. They're trying to make it sound like those old Simon and Garfunkel records where they sing the same melody together at about the same level, the same volume. Really great song. Just brings it back down, just like the rest of the record. It gives some dynamics, some gravitas, some distinction between songs, a little bit of lightness. Takes you on a journey. There's dynamics within the record, which is really cool. And then the epic closer with Back Home, where Ryan's sort of lamenting that moving to California to pursue his dreams isn't all he thought it would be and it wasn't all it was cracked up to be and so he's kind of writing a letter back home and maybe writing to his parents and his sister and he's writing to his friends the friends that he's talking about at that particular special place in time that he's referring to in the verses of Ocean Avenue so there's a bit of a juxtaposition he's talking about going to California to achieve his dreams spending time with his friends before he goes because that's what he he's talking about in the verses of Ocean Avenue And then at the end, he's almost writing a love letter back to all of his closest people saying, Hey, this isn't exactly what I had envisioned. It's not exactly what I thought it would be. And I think that's a really relatable sentiment about how things get kind of tough when you're all alone out on the West Coast and you don't have your closest people around you. Great ending track. Love it. Love the chorus. And yeah, 47 minutes and 30 seconds. What a great, timeless record. Two other things I want to mention here at the end, because I want to include it, because I think they're cool facts about the album. There is a B-side to Ocean Avenue. It's called Hey Mike. It's not on Spotify, but you can find it on YouTube, and it sounds really great. It's kind of a more quirky... Very pop-punk tune, more in the same vein as the Underdog EP or One for the Kids. I love it, personally. I would have been fine if they had included it as the 14th song on the album, but I understand why they left it off. And it's a great song if you've never heard it before. If you're a big fan of Ocean Avenue, definitely check that out. Hey Mike was also the name of a band on Takeover Records, which, again, was the record label that Game Time was on for a very brief period. Ben signed us to Takeover, and then we broke up, unfortunately. But Hey Mike was a great band. go check them out as well. They've got a bunch of stuff on Spotify. Steven's a sweetheart. He's amazing. And Yellow Card has a B-side from Ocean Avenue. The recording's called Hey Mike. The other cool fun fact that I want to make sure I include in this episode is Neil Avron has said that this was actually the first big rock record where he recorded strings. And that's pretty colossal just knowing that this is the first time he was able to record strings and it came out so perfectly and it blends so well in the mix and he knows when to subdue the string arrangements as I'm sure he gets a lot of input from or he was getting a lot of input from Sean because Sean was doing a lot of the string arrangements but he also knew when to really pump it in front and center in the mix just like a vocal line very melodic I think of the very end of Ocean Avenue the song Ocean Avenue when the strings come in and it just gives you those chills it's just a great way to end that song and the violin is definitely the one x-factor One of many X-Factors with yellow card, but it was such a cool way to hear such an organic classic instrument classical instrument on a major label rock record man sort of defined an era in my life and it was really fun to watch yellow card blow up before my very eyes they started out as this small independent band that i was listening to on a music website that nobody knew about or very few people knew about at the very beginning of streaming in general and then to become this major label act this massive multi-million album selling band platinum selling band pretty cool and i love those dudes i'm sure if i were to have a conversation with any of them which i hope to do on the show we pick up right where we left off it's been a while since i've talked to sean the violinist but every once in a while i'll i'll message him on the interwebs just see how he's doing i know he's in seattle right now and yeah just really really sweet guys love ben love lp ryan's a sweetheart i think a lot of them have come full circle they all seem like very well put together human beings at this point they're all doing cool stuff in their own right and yeah so that was my deep dive of ocean avenue the album ocean avenue by the band yellow card so revisit it give it a spin it's good to get those hits of nostalgia. It's good for the brain. And if you haven't checked out the albums that came out after Ocean Avenue, please go back, revisit those albums, revisit Lights and Sounds, revisit Paper Walls, revisit When You're Through Thinking Say Yes, check out Southern Air, check out Lift to Sail, check out The Self-Titled. They put out a lot of great music after Ocean Avenue. And a lot of the albums they did with Neil Avron, or he mixed them. I know he mixed the last one that they put out. They engineered and recorded it themselves. But Neil went ahead and mixed it And it sounds great And there's a lot of great songs So go back and check those out I hope you guys are doing well And if there's any other records That you'd like me to do a deep dive on Or you just want to talk about it Hit me up You can find me on Instagram At Kyle underscore Devlin That's D-E-V-L-I-N underscore underscore And let's talk about these records Because it'll be fun Hope you're having a wonderful day Enjoy your favorite music We need it now more than ever And I'll talk to you soon Bye Bye